Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E. You get to watch the whole thing there, folks, too. Much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by ESPN NFL analyst Matt Bowen, of course, the former Washington safety and a longtime friend, one of my favorite people to talk to. The dude has passion for football like very few I've met. It's another two-part episode, so this first one revolves around quarterback Carson Wentz and safety Landon Collins, why Matt loved Fred Smoot as a teammate, and how a weekend trip to Vegas was ruined by a phone call from Joe Gibbs. You can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBowen41, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. Before I get started, a couple of things. I know some mocks have Washington picking, picking safety Kyle Hamilton 11. More than a few have that. I've been telling you for a while that there's been a chance that he could fall out of the top 10. I felt that way for a few weeks, simply based on what I was hearing about who might go in the top 10. I think there is concern about Hamilton's speed, but as Matt Bone will tell you in our second episode, he's not as concerned about it, but other teams might be. And so he's not going to fit everybody. I think there's going to be some other options for teams in the top 10. A lot depends on the quarterbacks, how many get picked on in the top 10. Some people I've talked to think two will go there. I have a hard time seeing Atlanta or Seattle drafting a quarterback in the top 10, but you never know. And what if the Saints want to move into the top 10 to get a guy? Perhaps at number nine with Seattle. That could be a sweet spot. They have the capital to move up there too. And if they're doing that, they're going to take a quarterback. I've also heard that four pass rushers might go top 10, perhaps two receivers, three offensive tackles. That means Kyle Hamilton could fall. That's why I've been saying that, because this is what I've been hearing. And so we'll see. I know some of you don't want to take another defensive player with the first pick. It would be the third year in a row they would have taken a defensive player with that first pick. The goal is to get the best player available, build a strong roster. I also know you want to add premium talent on both sides of the ball. My strong sense is they could get a wide receiver in in round two who could help them, whereas the other safeties they like might be gone by the time they pick 47. Keep in mind, too, um, they are, well, let me say this. The best way to build a good team is, is, is to just draft good players. It would also mean there's confidence that De'Ami Brown could take a big step in year two and that, obviously, they feel Curtis Samuel being healthy would be a big bump for them as well. They don't have players who can do what Hamilton, what they want him to do. That's why they could go in that direction. I still think they're going to end up with the receiver, in one of the, with one of those first picks, um, or at least the desire would be there to, to get one. And it could very well be at 11. But if they go Hamilton, again, I think this would be why. They don't have anybody who can ascend to the role they want in that Buffalo nickel package, the linebacker safety hybrid role. Hamilton can fill it. If they don't get him, again, I've told you they w- that the door is open for Landon Collins, but he has to agree to take a pay cut. And I bring up this topic. With Matt Don't Bowen, Matt Don't with Matt Bowen in a few minutes. It's going to be interesting to see where the QB quarterbacks do go. The more people I talk to, the more I see no consensus at all among the quarterback rankings. I know one team has Sam Howell as a top guy in their board. Something Howell could go first round. Not sure about that. 
nor am I sure that five go first round as some think is possible. Desmond Ritter would be the other one. Long ago, one person here told me, even with this being considered a down class, he basically said, you watch, teams are going to talk themselves into certain guys. And I think that could be happening again. And I will say, this team traded for Carson Wentz for a reason. If you're picking late one and you like a quarterback around that range, you're going to control, you can control a guy for five years by picking him the first round rather than waiting to get a guy in the second. Now, they still have to be able to play. And every one of these quarterbacks has some definite flaws. And I think somebody from this class will emerge. Question is who? And then that becomes, do you go to the right environment? Let me say this. Matt Corral is the other guy that would go first round. I said Ritter, but it could be Corral as well. One of those. So that's why you get that four. And Corral is one of the guys who was invited to New York for the draft, which means that their teams are hearing or the league is hearing that he could go very well go in the first round. I know that that quick twitch, he's got such he's got a really good arm. I think the big hesitation I know here would be the size. The style of play at his size is a tough combination, but he's got that quick twitch and quick delivery. So anyway, there you go. Another thing to watch involves the stadium and how all these investigations impact Washington's pursuit of a stadium. I know some people at the team say what's often said publicly isn't being said to them behind closed doors. We'll see. But I also hear there are some politicians, even in Virginia, and some with, with some big-time clout, who definitely sound hesitant, from what I've been told, to get into a deal with the team right now, given the investigations. And I also know for those who think no one will ever do business, business with Dan Snyder, I think what we know with politicians is everybody wants to build something that can bring jobs and money to their region. Amazon had folks tripping all over them to build a facility. Few workplaces have had worse reputations. But I do think people want to see this stuff over before entering into a deal. And there will be some politicians who say, I don't want to deal with, with Snyder. That's fine. But certainly many will. But I think some will want to wait and see what other results or where is this going. Again, that's, that's not a... That's that's an analysis of the situation. I don't know if that's how it will play out, but you start to hear some of those things. Speaking of the stadium, one thing that's obvious is you can't build a huge one. My sense is they will build something in the 50,000 range. RFK was around 53, 53,000, and the intimacy worked. Football is such a TV sport, but one way to create demand for tickets is to have less of them available. I think that's why there was a big deal with RFK, that and the fact that the teams were pretty good. Really good. A smaller stadium can create a different and more enjoyable atmosphere. It will also be a dome, as I'm sure you've heard. I'm not crazy about that. Growing up going to outdoor stadiums my whole life. But if you're trying to sell the public at a facility that can be used for 100 events throughout the year, it has to be a dome. This is how that, that is something that can bring money to the team, to the region, whatever. An indoor stadium I love, Minnesota's. Love that place. I also like the environment outside of Minnesota. This is where a few years ago when, when this team played there, I think it was a Thursday night game. And I remember walking to the stadium from my hotel, which I won't do here, but walking to the stadium from the hotel and the vibe around the stadium outside was so alive. It was something I was like, I really miss being a part of that more often because you just don't, you didn't get that up. You weren't getting that at FedEx at that point because things had deteriorated. You know, early on, there was more of a vibe, more people there, different. Lately has not been the case. Anyway, by the way, there's nothing new on the investigation front. I do think the team is preparing a response to the recent allegations and, and the letter sent to the FTC, not a statement, but a counterpoint. 
So we'll see where this goes. All right, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with the great Matt Bowen from ESPN as we discuss how he sees Carson Wentz in Washington, where this team stacks up in the NFC East, some Fred Smoot talk, and a Vegas trip that did not start off well at all. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Matt Bowen. Matt, it's always good to see you and all the helmets behind you. I still don't see an Ohio State one behind there, but we can. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> I had terrible, terrible experiences at, at the horseshoe. Okay. Like losses you don't ever want to talk about. So we're, we're no, not going to. Actually, go. I do. We're not going to go there, John. Well, I there. will say, and then before we get into this, because I want to talk about current rush and all that. But mm. before we get into that, um, one of my f- early memories going to Ohio State was they beat Iowa. You would have been a tiny kid. They beat Iowa and I was ranked number one. That was like in the Chuck yeah. Long days. And that was, was I think that was like a week or two after they beat Michigan. So they beat Michigan in 86 yes. with, with yeah, Coach Long. it was 86. Yeah. So we were there and it's like, there's a rainy day in Columbus. They weren't supposed to win. They win. I go out to a bar later that night and the goalposts are in the bar. It was, mm-hmm. it was fantastic. I'll, t- I'll tell you even better, the, the Iowa fans, uh, during Coach Ferentz's first Big Ten title was up with the Metrodome. Um, obviously, the go- when I was in college, we played the Gophers. And the Iowa fans tore down the goalposts at the Metrodome and tried to get them out. But see, the Metrodome was a real dome. It had revolving yeah. doors, you know, to keep the thing inflated. So those, the goalposts got caught in revolving doors. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I brought you on not to talk about those memories, but I want to talk about like Washington getting Carson Wentz, mm-hmm. what that means, and then, you know, just how it impacts that offense and all that. And I just let's start with your thoughts on them and Carson Wentz. Well, I think when you look at Carson Wentz from a scouting perspective, just like you did when he got drafted on North Dakota State, look at the physical tools he has. And Carson Wentz has high-level physical tools in terms of his size in the pocket, his strength in the pocket, his movement traits, to slide and move in the pocket, but also to extend outside the pocket. The arm talent is high level. He can attack all three levels of the field. Very aggressive mindset as a thrower. When you watch Carson Wentz, 
there's a lot of layups he doesn't take because he wants to push the ball down the field, especially to the third level. Now, with those high-level trades, John, I think sometimes Carson Wentz that <clears throat> plays against him almost plays to his detriment in terms of, well, I can make this play. I can extend this play even more when there's throws to make underneath. And that's the one thing I've said about Carson Wentz's tape going back uh, to last year with Indy and his final year with the, with the Eagles is that you have to take the throws that are available. Uh, you have to play within the structure of the offense at times. You don't have to make a big play every single time. And also his mechanics. Sometimes his upper body and lower body are not tied together. And that, again, forces him to miss some layups right. underneath. Now, like I said, the aggressive mindset. He is going to challenge opposing defenses. He's going to challenge tight windows. He's going to challenge tight windows inside and outside of the pocket. So if I'm coaching him, that just becomes a discussion. And, and, and throughout practice, throughout many camp OTAs and training camps and working those reps, of when to take the throws that are available, when to play within the structure of the offense, and also when to go outside the structure of the offense. Because anytime, John, you're coaching a player who has the high-level physical tools of Carson Wentz, you want him to use those tools. You want him to make special plays. But that has to be done uh, when the opportunity presents itself. And, and that's the those situations have led to negative situations for Carson Wentz the last couple of years of the quarterback position. But there's no question he can make the plays. Go back to last year. I think it was a Thursday night game, Thursday night game against Arizona, in Arizona. And the, the, the final really five minutes of the football game and what he did with those, that offense, the throws he made uh, to win that football game for the Colts. So you, you can see that on the tape. You just want it to be more consistent. Do you, when you look at him, how much, of, how much of an upgrade do you feel he is over what Washington had with Heineke? And also factoring in that – it's not just how much of an upgrade over Heineke, but over Heineke plus what else you could do with what you spent on Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is an upgrade over, over Heineke. Heineke to me is a high level two who can play in spots as a low level one. And I think everyone would agree with that. Now, I love Heineke's play stuff. I do. That's a guy I'd want to coach. Really, I wouldn't want to coach. But he just doesn't have the size. He doesn't have the physical tools of Carson Wentz. He doesn't have the arm talent of Carson Wentz. So when you look at any position, just like we will throughout the draft process, the guys that are drafted higher have the height, weight, and speed, the movement traits, and at the quarterback position, the arm talent, the power, the strength in their lower body. And that's what Carson Wentz gives you. And there's no question you can be more aggressive and more vertical with Carson Wentz in your offense. And I think that's what Coach Turner will do. I think you'll see more skinny posts, more deep end breakers, more shots to the third level, more max protection throws down the field when you can get your wide receivers loose in one-on-one -on -one matchups or you're trying to scheme open coverage voids down the field. And that's what I would do with Carson Wentz. And I was going to ask you that too, because when you look at what they did at Indy and um, over his career, he's had a lot of 20-plus yard pass attempts. Mm. I don't think it was quite as much last year in Indy do you feel like that? And I know obviously Frank Reich knows him, knows him very well. How much with the receivers that he had in Indy versus what he's going to have here will make a difference in his ability to do that? Well, I think there was more offensive structure too in Indy. When you look at the Colts and what they want to do, one, they're a run-heavy football team. They want to throw play-action off it. They want to throw a lot of catch-and-run balls, a lot of crossers, a lot of overs, uh, you know, a lot of mesh concept. You see that in Frank Reich's offense. And then they take their scripted shots down the field. I think with Coach Turner's offense, there is more of a vertical aspect to it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some people call it the bang eight, and I call it the skinny post. I mean, we've seen that forever. 
uh, the deep end bluggers from McLaurin, what you can do with Dwami Brown, what you can do with Cam Sims back on the roster, guys that can stretch you down the field a little bit, and Curtis Samuel. We talked about Curtis Samuel last offseason, and obviously he had injuries. Uh, you don't really have a great feel of what he can do within this offense, but Curtis Samuel is also a middle-of-the-field stretch target. If Logan Thomas is healthy, he's your seam stretcher down the middle of the field. So there will be more. And I understand when we talk about vertical shots, you know, it doesn't mean just throwing the football down the field. I mean, these are scheme concepts. Now, obviously, the one-on-one fade balls, you can call that a vertical outside the numbers. But, the, the you know, a deep seam to me is a vertical throw. Right. You know, a deep skinny post, you know, that hits at a, you know, breaks about 12 to 15 yards on the field. You catch it at 18 to 20. That's a vertical throw. And those are more controlled vertical throws when you're trying to attack second and beginning of the third level window. You're a defensive back knowing this now. You're playing against a team like that. What does it do to you, especially if you have a threat like a McLaurin or Gary Brown or, who, or Curtis Samuel or somebody they might add in the draft? But what does that threat do to you as a defensive back? Well, anytime we play the quarterback who's got uh, the arm talent to attack all levels of the field, but especially at third level, you're going to have to play a little differently. I go back to when I was playing in Washington when we played um, the Cowboys when they had Drew Bledsoe. And that was later in Bledsoe's career. But I remember Greg Williams saying, you play cover two at 15 yards, you're going to get beat. Right. So you're going to start at 18 yards in pedal. Now, we might give up, we might give up a, a, you know, a, a larger window at the second level to throw the inbreaker but you're not going to let them throw the football over your head. I'm going to tell you, if I'm a defensive back against Carson Wentz, I'm going to try to bait the heck out of him. I am. I'm going to try to steal one from him, steal a couple from him. If I'm a corner and I'm a cover two corner, I'm going to try to bait him and make him throw that whole shot throw up, up the boundary and I'm going to go pick it off. If I'm a safety in the post, I'm going to try to get a jump on it and read his eyes and understand where and when he wants to be aggressive so I can try, try to make a play on the football. But I also understand with Carson, too, as a defensive back, if you're playing the deep post and he gets outside the pocket, the play is not over. And that does wear on you mentally as a defensive back with a guy who has enough movement traits to escape and extend outside, plus the arm talent to throw on the run and still push it down the field. That is going to impact, uh, you know, your mentality during the week and on Sunday. How are you going to try and bait? Do you, when you, you obviously sometimes it's going to be play terror, but how would you go about baiting him if you're a corner, if you're a safety, to try and get him to make a certain throw? Well, corner and cover two is one situation. You know, when you're playing cover one or man coverage, I would teach my defensive backs against Carson Wentz when we're playing off the ball to flat foot read everything. What that means is you line up at seven yards inside shade and you're not pedaling. You're going to challenge him. If he throws a slant, you're going to get it. I mean, he throws a quick inbreak or a glance route, you're going to get it. Now, when the McLaurin or, or Samuel or Brown, they get up on your cushion at open run. We all understand that. But I'm going to be more aggressive. Same with quarters. If I'm teaching quarters and we're playing Carson Wentz, I want my safeties playing downhill aggressively. Any type of inbreaker, we're going to get it. We are going to get it. We're going to flat foot read about eight to 10 yards, read high hat, low hat versus run and pass. And if it's pass, I'm going to get it. And if I have no vertical threat, I'm looking outside and I'm just begging Terry McLaurin to run an inbreaker. Begging him. Either I'm going to pick him up, pick the ball off him or run right through him. So he has to go back to the huddle and tell Carson, I don't like you throwing that ball anymore. So it puts me in, in, in some heavy traffic. Well, is there something about Wentz's game that you feel he can be baited on? Is that why you say that? Or is that just a common no, just a, for somebody Anytime you're playing against a quarterback with an aggressive mindset, right? Okay. Anytime playing against a quarterback with an aggressive mindset. Now that can get you beat too. From, you know, sure. it's a two-way street, right? John? Yeah. 
if I'm if I'm a safety and I'm driving in every inbreak, we're not going to run a dig and up, and I'm going to get beat. You know that happened to me plenty of times in my career. All right, so there it's always a two way street, but there's not one certain thing about Carson or a certain throw. It's just that I know, especially late in the down. Okay, and there's quarterbacks in this league who struggle late in the down. Carson is one of them. Going back to what we said, because those physical tools set times play to his detriment, especially late in the down. I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive. I'm going to cover two safety or post safety and be prepared to drive top down as I know he's going to, he's going to be aggressive with the football. There are also questions about him always, and you hear various things, and I always hear like he's not a bad guy and all that. So we go there. But you do hear things about how a locker room, how he was in the locker room here or there. You, you, there are whispers about all that. In your experience with quarterbacks, you know, I think it, it feels like with Carson, like he's the only quarterback who maybe has a different personality. I don't think that's the case. I think there's some really good ones. No, what's been your experience with guys at that position? What is important for them in the locker room um, as far as, you, you know, in, from your experience? Well, I was very lucky during my career that I got to play with Kurt Warner, who's in the Hall of Fame. Brett Favre was in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I think quarterbacks, uh, you know, and I tell this to the high school kids I coach, you are the leader of the football team. Either, even if you don't want to be, you are the leader. That's part of playing that position is that everyone's going to look to you always. They look at how you practice, how you prepare, what you do pre and post game. You know, that, that is important because it kind of sets the tone for the entire football team. And it has to come from that position. Mark Brunell, who I played with in Washington, was one of the best leaders I've ever been around. Mm. One of the best. And I think at the quarterback position, you have to be able to talk to everyone in the locker room. You have to be able to t- have a conversation with every single player in that locker room. And an NFL locker room is, you know, a makeup from people all over the country, different backgrounds, right? And you have to be able to talk to everyone in that locker room, have a conversation with everyone in that locker room. So to the point where they trust you so much, come critical moments in the game that they believe in you, right? If you're a defensive player, you understand that, look, if we get another stop, then Carson go win the football game for us. If we turn the football over here, Carson win the football game for us. If I'm covering kicks, then I go down and make a tackle inside the 20-yard line. Well, heck, that's going to set up our defense. We get a stop. Now Carson go win the game for us. You have the utmost belief in that quarterback. You trust him. You love him as a teammate. You know he cares for you as a teammate. And that stuff's important. We don't talk about that enough because we talk about scheme and game plan and personnel. I understand all that. But the quarterback has to be, in my opinion, the number one guy in the locker room. So knowing that, have you seen guys, like, again, it, it, do you see guys taking time to grow in that role? Do you feel like that's a natural thing for guys to have? Or can somebody kind of continue to build upon that and get a point in their career where it becomes a little bit easier for them to be that guy? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, you can grow into that role. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, you see with young quarterbacks that come in the league. You see with freshman quarterbacks in, at the high school level, right? It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Some people just have this personality that everyone gravitates to. Right. Right? Brett Favre had that, right? Everyone gravitated to Brett. There's no question about that. Okay. And I play with the other quarterbacks that it, it, it could take some time uh, to build those relationships in the locker room, especially with guys on the other side of the football. I think that's so important. Uh, you don't ever want to be in a situation where you're coming off the field and it's and the conversation is not good between the offense and the defense. Because I've been in those teams. Okay, and that can make for a long Sunday, can make a long week of practice uh, where one side of the football is, is, is doing more than the other side. Um, that happens quite a bit in that league. Yeah. So 
But to go back to your original question, can that be developed in terms of leadership skills and relationship? Sure, especially for a new player coming to a new team. I remember when I went in the locker room the first time in Washington. Okay, I didn't know anybody, really. Right. I mean, I played against guys, played against guys at the college level, played against guys in the pros, but I didn't have those established relationships. Especially a position like I played in the secondary, where you have to have a relationship, that communication. I had to develop those relationships with Champ Bailey and Fred Smoot and Ife and the guys I played with in the secondary because that's vital uh, to being a productive unit on Sundays. I was glad to see that you got Fred Smoot to open up and quit being so shy. <laughs> one of my favorite, one of my favorites ever. One of the best teammates. Fred is one of the best teammates you can ever have. And one of the best. Uh, this, uh, I love playing with Fred. I mean, he made practice fun. He made games fun. But just a great teammate. And, and that's one thing when I've always said, you know, when, when you retire, you know, obviously someone like Brett Favre, they're going to talk about how many touchdowns he threw. When I retire, I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff because I didn't really do anything. But <laughs> when you're a football player, when you retire, there's two things. Um, a coach and I would tell me this, that they want to talk. When someone talks about you, they want them to say, one, that you were tough, okay? And two, that you're a great teammate. All the other stuff doesn't matter. When you're like me and 45 years old, uh, no one's going to remember a play made against the Saints in week six in 2003, right? No one's going to remember that. Um, but they're going to remember if you were tough and you played hurt and you played for your teammates and you were a great teammate. What with, with Fred, and it's funny, I didn't mean to go down this road, but I, I love Fred. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always remember being at practice. You'd be on one sidelines, you guys be on the other. And you could always tell where Fred was because it'd be a group of guys laughing. And yes. so, you know, what, what do you like? Why do you say great teammate? What are some of those other, you know, he's just a naturally funny guy. Yeah, he's got an outstanding personality. Even in the lowest of lows, and you know, in that 2003 season, we were not a very good football team. I think we went five and 11. Yeah, uh, we started out three and one. As Steve and, as Spurrier said, not very good. Yeah, we were not very good. Um, but even when Coach Gibbs and Coach Williams came, you know, <clears throat> Greg, I mean, Fred was uh, the personality is just outstanding. Um, I trusted him as a teammate, uh, what he did on the field. I trusted everything he did in the field. I always knew he'd be in the right position. I had always knew he'd battle. He loved to challenge people. Fred loved to challenge wide receivers. He would tell them about it too, but he loved that one-on-one -on -one matchup. I mean, and you have to respect that about a player who wants to be put in those situations because they're not easy. Not in this league. They're not easy. Um, but just how he carried himself in the meeting room, um, you know, it's so different than, than me, okay? And that's the great thing about football. We have completely different personalities. You know, I'm a pretty buttoned-up person, as you know. Um, I don't really go outside the lines very often. And Fred was the opposite of me in terms of just how he thought and his ability to create conversation within the meeting room, his ability to keep us light all the time. In a critical game situation in the field, when, when you're with Fred Smoot and Marcus Washington, a linebacker, you, you don't feel any stress. You just don't. You don't feel any stress because I don't know what the correct word for it is, but. Chill. Yeah, they're just chill. They're chill. They're funny. Um, the guys Marcus, you count on. Yeah, yeah. Marcus, and, is all, Marcus is always like, just keep chopping wood. That's what he'd always tell us. With, with Fred, though, like, and it's funny because you're watching on TV and you can't see what if somebody is actually talking. You can't see what guys are saying, which is why I love the mic'd up segments when you hear and see guys yeah. and like. With Fred, would you guys actually laugh on the field because of him? Oh, sure. 
Sure. Laugh on the field, laugh when we're going through adjustments. And I wish I could have played like that. I've always said that. I wish I could have played like that. I was so intense when it came to those moments in terms of my preparation and Sunday morning before games. And I wish I could have been, you know, that chill and that loose, you know, to have that loose play style. I did not have that. I did not, you know, I just didn't. That's not who I am. So it was a great compliment to what Fred brought to our secondary um, under Coach Spurrier and under Coach Gibbs. And I didn't mean to go down there, but I do go, going back to the current team, is this team better? Like, how do you see them? How do you see Washington now stacking up in the NFC East as we get closer to the draft? And where, where do you feel they are right now? I think they're in the best place you can be. They're in a position to compete. And that's all you want in this league. I mean, that division talked about, and we know what Dallas has talent-wise, but New York has a new head coach. Philadelphia's in their second year of a head coach. Um, I think it's going to be an ultra-competitive division this year. Um, if I had to pick a winner right now for that division, I couldn't do it. Right. You have to see how the draft plays out, see who stays healthy during training camp in the offseason. But they're in the mix, and, and that's what you want. You have a very strong coaching staff, an extremely strong head coach who, who has been in this league for a long time as a player and now as a coach. And I think what they have, we've talked about this before, John, if they go in the draft and they do not get a wide receiver, I think you can line up right now and you can threaten people at all three levels of the field in the pass game. You know what you have at the running back position in terms of Gibson. You bring back McKissick, who's dynamic in the pass game as a third down back or as a change of pace back. I think you have speed outside. McLaurin's one of the top route runners in the NFL right now. Getting the tight end back and healthy is a key, though. Right. Getting Thomas back and healthy is a key because he is that middle of the field stretch option. He can work underneath. He can run after the catch. He can create some matchups for you that wide receivers cannot. And we've seen he can flex in the formation. Okay. But just looking at it from that perspective, I think during the mix, I think they can compete. The missing part is can they get consistent production and high-level play at the quarterback position? And what you want with Carson Wentz, even if you're going to be more run-heavy, let's say they're a little bit more run-heavy, can he make the plays in critical moments to win? And the critical moments for a quarterback are the money downs and third downs, especially third and seven and ten. Can you be efficient and score touchdowns inside the 20-yard line? Those wins in football games. You know, it's great to make throws in first and 10. We all like that. It's great to hit the scheme vertical as well. But in those situations, in my opinion, that's where you get paid as a football player in this league, to make plays in those situations as well, because that wins games. Yeah, and it would not be a surprise to me at all if they end up winning the division. It just wouldn't be. Um, I think the defense is going to be better. The schedule is a little bit different. You're not facing quite as many top 10 quarterbacks as they did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, I think Wentz is an upgrade. And, and, and then from there, like you said, you'll, we'll see. But they, I think you're right. I think they're in position to contend for that NFC East title. And it would not be a surprise to, see me, for, to me to see them win it. Last guy I want to talk to you about, Landon Collins. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, they, they offered him a pay cut a couple of times, didn't, you know, took one, but didn't want to take the other. So now he'll be officially released after June. Or I guess his salary comes out. His cap number goes down after June 1st. That's when the cap hit is released or relieved, I guess. Um, what's that, the role he was playing, that hybrid role, how important is that role becoming in the NFL? And, and is it hard to find guys who can play that well? I think it's becoming a very important role. And there's two types of hybrids, okay, because you look at a zone-heavy defense like Washington. That's where Landon Collins really fits. Landon Collins is not a man matchup player um, over a slot, right? He's not. He's a cover-down safety. I've always said there's safeties that can cover down. Uh, you know, I was one of those guys. Where if you're bringing pressure, 
He can flat foot read at seven, drive top down in the football. Guy catches it, make a tackle, go to the next play. But you're not matching, uh, you know, you're, you're not matching up against an elite slot receiver. Okay. What Landon did that was so good for this football team is he was physical. He can cut off the ball and set an edge versus the run game. He can be schemed as a blitzer. He's got the latter ability to play in space. He can run and hit it to second level and he can match and carry when you're playing zone defense, like a matchup zone, where I can match and stay to the bottom hip of the seam route. If he breaks outside of a cut underneath, they got a safety over the top. There's a lot of good things he did. Now, the flip side of that is someone like Gardner Johnson from the Saints, who is kind of that slot safety hybrid defender um, who has more man coverage traits. Daxton Hill is coming out of the draft this year from University of Michigan. Is that guy to me? Someone who is extremely fluid, has the length and the coverage traits of a corner, but can play inside, drop the hook to curl, but also man up and play that position. So I do think that position is becoming much more important. I think Kyle Hamilton from the University of Notre Dame can play that, right, in terms of what he can do as a hybrid slot defender. Again, not a true man matchup player, but a disruptor. And I think that's what you wanted from Landon Collins. Can he be disruptive for us at the second level? And he was. Last thing on this, and then we're going to come back for part two of this for the next episode, talking about the draft. So people listening, tune in the next one. But the last part for this with Landon, how hard is it for guys to, because the big thing is if they don't get a guy in the draft, they will be willing to bring him back. He has to want to come back and it will be for that pay cut. How hard is it for some guys to come back to a locker room after having a pay cut? Is there an impact, um, you know, just mentally for them? Well, I mean, you have to be honest about how players think. And, you know, your profile is kind of based on your salary. That's just how the league works. Higher profile guys get paid a lot more money, right? So you're viewed as a high profile player when you walk into that locker room if you have a big time contract. And when that contract is cut and bring back, I mean, that, that can be challenging. If I'm trying to put myself in that position, that'd be tough, you know, because in the face of my peers, uh, I would be saying that, you know, the organization doesn't think as highly as me as they used to. And they're showing it by the number on my paycheck. Right. So that can be a challenging situation. And I've never been in that situation. It is flat out cut me and say, get the heck out of here. So, you know, but if I was, okay, if I was, you know, if coach Gibbs, when he called me to cut me, I was out in Vegas with my cousin and it just landed. So it wasn't the best start to the weekend, but um, if coach Gibbs had called me at that point, and said, we'd like to bring you back, but it'd be, you know, at a reduced rate. Um, it would be, it would be interesting what I would think. Now there's, there's flip side to it. I don't have to move. I don't have to meet new teammates. I don't have to work for new coaching staff. I don't have to go through free agency where I might not get, where I might even get a lower amount, right? There's always that risk. Okay. Right. This team wants to bring me back at a reduced rate. Oh, I'm going to go to free agency and make more. What if you don't? What if you go to a situation where they're not going to utilize you as that hybrid safety? Okay, they're going to put you in the post where you're not really a post player. Then you're going to get exposed, and then you're out of the league. So uh, there's two two ways always to look at it. Uh, but to, you know, the answer to your original question, there is no no doubt that when you walk in the locker room, everyone knows how much you make. Everyone knows how much you make, and that is kind of how your profile is set by how the league views you and how the organization views you. How did the rest of that weekend in Vegas go? <laughs> it was it, so 
uh, I've written this story before. So my cousin, uh, my cousin, Mike, who's basically my best friend, I said, Coach Gibbs is calling. I got to answer this call. And he went downstairs and uh, he came back upstairs, knocked on the door. And I said, I just got cut. He goes, I just lost a thousand bucks. It's not going well. <laughs> but the weekend survived. It survived. It survived. Well, you're here. Matt, thanks a lot for joining me. And again, next episode, we're going to be talking about the draft because Matt has written some things on that. So tune in next time and we'll you know hear from Matt and his expertise on the draft. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matt for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with more Matt Bowen on Monday as we dive into the NFL draft and some draft memories of his own. Talk to you next time.